I'd like you to turn with me in the Bible, please, to uh, Revelation, if you've got one, or you listen. <laughs> Revelation chapter 12, uh, last book in the Bible, and we're going to read from verse 7 down to verse uh, 12. <clears throat> this is part of a vision which John the Apostle had uh, of spiritual war. Spiritual war between the devil, which is known, he's known in this passage as the dragon, and the people of God and Christ. And you'll understand why I'm reading this in a moment. Because my subject this morning is on overcoming the accuser, the, the lies of the devil, overcoming the accuser, and how great our God is. And um, I just want to say before I read this that we can forget how great God is. We can treat God sometimes like a pocket size, oh Jesus, he's my mate, you know. Uh, some people sing to the Lord as if he's their girlfriend. You know, he gives me cuddles. But God is great, and he's very great in forgiving us. He's very great in our battle against the enemy. But I want to talk about this, overcoming the accuser, uh, with God on our side, from Revelation 12, verse 7. Then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle. And he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to earth with all his angels. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they, that's the Christians, have defeated or overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives so much that they weren't afraid to die. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice, but terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. So I want to talk about overcoming the accuser. And I don't know if you believe there is a devil. I don't want to talk about him particularly, but I want to talk about how the Lord will help you defeat him in your life. But I don't know if you believe in the devil. I mean, there is a devil. Uh, his job is to malign the name of God, make God seem unfaithful to you, make God seem like he's let you down. Make God seem like he doesn't love you. Like we heard this morning, there might be someone here who feels God doesn't love them. The devil will love to whisper such things in your ear, that God doesn't care about your situation, that you are in despair, 
and hopelessness. But it's all lies. It's all lies. The devil's known as the liar, the father of lies. And his choicest job is to lie to you. And he will accuse you as well. One of his names is the accuser. He will accuse you of three areas shown in this passage in verse 11. One is concerning the blood of the lamb. In other words, he will accuse you of being unforgiven. He'll say, you're not really forgiven. And what the devil does, he throws in question marks. He doesn't shout at you, but he'll drop questions. Are you sure God's forgiven you for that? Are you sure about that? Because the devil loves to sow doubt, like he did in the Garden of Eden. He said to Adam and Eve, you know, to Eve, he said, you know, will you really die if you eat that fruit? It's very subtle. So he will accuse you of being unforgiven. I'll talk about that in a moment. An uncertainty will come, can come upon the Christian. He will also accuse you, they all begin with you, by the way, these, these three points. There are three points to my sermon. All begin with you. Uh, if you. If you don't want to remember it, it's because I believe the devil seeks to undermine you and me with accusation. He seeks to undermine you and me with accusation. They all begin with you. The first one, he will accuse you of being unforgiven. So you. The second one, he will accuse you of being useless. You're useless. You can't really uh, reach anyone. You can't bring anyone to heaven with you. And the third one, he will accuse you of being unreasonable. You know, you're too much of a fanatic. Why are you allowing yourself to suffer like this? Think of yourself. Pity yourself. So he'll drop questions in like, Are you sure you're forgiven? Unforgiven. Are you sure God can use you? You know, look at you, look at your life. Are you sure God can use you to win your neighbour? You're useless. And the third one, are you sure you're not being unreasonable? Think about your family. You can't go on the mission field. What about your family? That's unreasonable. And they're all lies. But you see, God is great, as I said at the beginning. He's great in his forgiveness. Now, I want to tell you a quick story. I'll tell you something funny to start with, just quickly. We have funny ideas about forgiveness, don't we? I mean, I heard a story of a a couple who had an argument. If you're married, I don't know if you ever have arguments. Um, And the husband had messed up really badly in the past. And about three years later, the wife brought it up again. And he said to her, he said, I thought in our family we had a policy of forgive and forget. And she said, that's right, dear. We do have a policy of forgive and forget. But I'm making sure that you don't forget that I've forgiven and forgotten. (laughs) We have funny ideas about forgiveness. We think if we're going to forgive another person for something they've done, we think that there's a funny phrase I heard which said, the first step to forgiving someone else is to realise that they are a complete idiot. (laughs) which of course is not fair but you see when God forgives God forgives but the devil is quick to whisper are you sure about that let me tell you a story I heard uh, from a sermon I'm I'm confessing I nicked it but it's a good story so I'm going to tell you it Uh, Tim Cross shared this story in Eltham of a a priest in the Philippines there was a uh, I think he was a 
Anglican priest uh, in the Philippines. And he had committed a secret sin at Bible college. And he never quite had a sense of forgiveness. And then in his church one day, there was a very spiritual woman who apparently heard the Lord regularly. And he was a bit sceptical, so he said to her, he said, okay, you say you've, you're really close to the Lord. If you're so close to the Lord, I want you to go away and pray and ask the Lord, what was my secret sin that I did in Bible college? She said, okay, I'll do it. So she went away and prayed. And then a few days later, the priest met her and said, well, did you ask the Lord what it was I did in Bible college? And she said, I did. She said, well, what did the Lord say it was? She said, the Lord said, he can't remember. And that's the truth. God chooses to forget. It's not that God you know, has amnesia. Of course, he knows everything, but he chooses. I choose to forget. There are many promises in Scripture of the total forgiveness of God. I mean, I won't read too many, but it says, and you know these Scriptures, in 1 John, chapter 1, verse 7, if we are seeking to live in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Providing there's nothing that you know about, you're seeking the Lord, you're looking to him, you're saying, sorry, Lord, forgive me, I, I want to walk with you. Providing you mean that, it says here, you're seeking to live in the light, it says, the blood of his son cleanses us from all sin. It then says this in verse nine, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. People don't believe these scriptures. The devil will come along and go, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, what we do, just to be honest with you a minute, in terms of the way the enemy accuses you, you think like this, well, yeah, God forgives me for swearing at the traffic lights. Okay, I swore. Okay, I, I lost my call. I asked the Lord, he forgave me, right. But he can't really forgive me for divorce. Oh, that's too big. It's not true. Another example. You may, I don't know, have a go at your wife. I, mean, I never do this, of course. <laughs> you may have a go at your wife, and you, you say sorry to her, you say sorry to the Lord, and you feel forgiven, fine. But what if there's a sin in your life which repeats... Oh, I've done it again, Lord. I mean, I will give you some advice. If you have a sin that repeats, I mean, I've been there, being honest. I'm going to be really honest with you today. I've been there. If you have a sin that repeats, maybe you go along for three or four months and then something happens, it's good to talk to someone. It's good to bring it, someone you trust, though, and pray. Because otherwise it can become a stronghold if you don't share it. But, you know, God is not in the business He's not like a football referee where he says, right, you've blown it once, yellow card. You've blown it again, red card. Right now you're off. God can forgive even if you've sinned. I mean, what did Jesus say to Peter? Peter said, how many times should I forgive? And he said, should I do seven times? And uh, Jesus said, no, 70 times, 70, you know, so many, many times. Some people think, the Christian will think, I can be forgiven for everything, but that one thing that's repeated, mm, 
God must be fed up with me by now. It's not true. Devil likes that. Another quick one, like the Philippine priest, is a secret sin. We can feel that God hasn't really forgiven us. And I was driving in the car uh, last week with my beloved children to a place called Nyman's. Nyman's, it's a National Trust place. We go to National Trust. And we were playing the CD of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe in the car because the kids love it. I mean, Becca gets really scared when there's the wolf because the wolf goes... And she gets all scared and starts crying. But apart from that, it's a really good um, (laughs) uh, CD. But I felt the Lord put in my heart this, that what the devil wants, and this is speaking to Christians really, he wants you to live your life a bit like they did in Narnia in the winter, with a kind of a sense of condemnation hanging over you. You know... I'm going to have a time response at the end today and I believe there are two things the Lord wants to do. He wants to shift off of people a sense of condemnation that follows them and he wants to also shift off of people this sense that they can't do anything, that they're useless. That may not apply to you but if it does I encourage you to stand at the end. God wants to shift condemnation off of people and shift off of people a sense of uselessness. And I want to include that as a response at the end. But you see, I believe the devil wants people to be like Narnia in winter. You know, in, in, in winter time, it was, it was always winter, never Christmas. Been winter for a hundred years. The white witch sort of had the power. The white witch is a picture of the devil. And, you know, it's, the lakes are frozen, the streams are frozen. And a Christian can be like they're living in Narnia in the winter because they have this sense of condemnation or lack of confidence or guilt from something that happened in their past. And the witch in Narnia was a liar. She wasn't the true ruler. And what the devil wants to do, he wants to make your past be part of your present. And then he'll tell you, and your present is going to always be your future. When Jesus says, it's finished. What happens when Aslan comes? I'm talking Narnia today, aren't I? Aslan, the lion. When Aslan's coming, Aslan comes. The snow starts to melt. The rivers start to flow. Flowers appear. And I believe this morning the Lord just wants to wash away any sense of condemnation. Maybe you've been living like the people in Narnia in the winter. It's a bit like, I know God loves me, but I've done this. I've got this in my past. Can God really forgive that? People write me off. You know, I mean, but listen, the Lord gave me this verse. I hope it's a prophetic word for someone. Maybe it's just for me. (laughs) But the Lord gave me this word from the Song of of Songs. When the enemy seeks to accuse us of of guilt. Uh, It says in chapter 2 of the Song of Songs, talking about the Lord speaking to his bride which is us. It says, My love said to me, Rise up, my darling. Come away with me. Look, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers are springing up. The season of the singing of birds has come. And the voice of the dove is heard in the land. 
The fig trees are forming young fruit and the fragrant grapevines are blossoming. Rise up, my love, my fair one. Come away with me. The Lord says this morning, I believe, you are forgiven. You are completely forgiven. Whatever it was you did, you are forgiven. Whatever happened to you, the shame, you are forgiven. And something happened to me at work this week. I was at my computer and I, I, um, I used some of the OMF blue tack and paper where I work. I work at a place called OMF and I used the pens and the, I took some paper home and I thought I'd better pay for that. So I put a little note uh, on my desk. You must pay. To remind me, otherwise I'll forget. I've got brain like a sieve. Anyway, one day I went along, I paid the money, put it in the tin. I left the note on the keyboard for a few days. And I was walking around and this note kept saying, you've got to pay. And I realised, actually, that's been paid already. <laughs> and the devil will say that to you. He says, you've got to pay for what you've done. But God says, it's been paid for. It's been paid for. Um... Can we just turn, if you want or listen, uh, to Zechariah chapter 3, where we we hear about the forgiveness of God. Zechariah chapter 3. If you don't know where Zechariah is, it's uh, the last two books of the Old Testament. So go to the book of Matthew, turn left. Turn left twice. (laughs) But chapter 3, there is a vision, and in this vision, there is Satan accusing And there is this man called Joshua, who doesn't represent Jesus, he represents the people of God. And Joshua is a priest. Now the people of God, you and I, before God, we are like priests. I don't mean you wear a dog collar and you wear a nice black frock and you run a church. What I mean is you're a priest, you're someone who can pray to the Lord and the Lord will listen to you. You're someone who can minister the things of God. You're a priest. It says in the Bible, we are a whole kingdom of priests. And Joshua stands there and he represents you and me. He represents the priests of God, the kingdom of priests. The devil's accusing because he's got filthy clothes upon him. And we just read what happens. You probably know this story. It says, the angel showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. The accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand, making accusations against Joshua. And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations, Satan. Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. Joshua's clothing was filthy, as he stood there before the angel. So the angel said to the others standing there, take off his filthy clothes. And turning to Joshua, he said, see, I have taken away your sins, and now I am giving you these fine new clothes. Then I said, they should also place a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean priestly turban on his head, and dressed him in new clothes while the angel of the Lord stood by. 
You see, the blood of Jesus washes the priests of God clean. And the word filthy, by the way, means excrement. It means poo. It was really bad. It's, you know, you imagine getting covered in poo. One time, my daughter, Daniela, we did a photo shoot in a field. She looked so beautiful until she fell over in a cow pat, got covered in poo. Now, did I stop loving her? No. We just washed it off and restored her. And that's God's heart for you. The filthy clothes were removed. And you've got the Satan there accusing on the right-hand side. The idea of the right-hand side is the position of authority and influence, saying, you are not worthy. But the Lord rebukes him. Now, the blood is not mentioned in this passage, but it's there. Because if you go down further down to verse 9, sorry, verse 8, the angel says, I am going to bring someone called the branch. That's Jesus. And then if you go to verse uh, 9, it says, I will remove the sins of this land in a single day. That's the cross. The day Jesus hung on the cross. If any of you feel filthy this morning, I want to tell you, you can be completely washed through the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood. Um, Spurgeon, the great preacher, said this. I'll just read a quote to you. He said, I know what the devil will say to you. He will say to you, you are a sinner. Tell him, yes, I know. But for all that, I am justified. The devil will tell you of the greatness of your sin. He will tell you of all your failures, your backslidings, your offences, your wanderings. Tell him and tell your own conscience, Yes, I know all that. But Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And although my sin is great, Christ is able to put it away. I don't know if you believe the cross deals with what happened to you. Or whether you have a niggling little doubt. Because my first point, and I've only said one of three, but the other two are not quite as long, is he will accuse you of being unforgiven. And it will come at points when you don't expect it. It will undermine your confidence. But the cross is a huge thing. It covers. If you are seeking to come to the Lord and, and repent, and you're just being as honest as you can, the, the blood of Jesus will cover. Um, I am currently working at, at OMF in trying to create an insurance document for, it's very dull, insurance over OMF, which is a, 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 an organization that operates in Asia, Southeast Asia, in Europe. And I'm having to create this big document. And, and I'm having to talk to insurers and saying, what is covered and what is not covered? And it's endlessly boring. I mean, John used to do insurance. He knows all about this. What is covered? You know, do they cover us if we go overseas on a short trip? Do they cover us if someone hacks into our computers? Do they cover us if a car gets nicked? What's covered? What's not covered in the insurance? And uh, we finally come across about two or three people that seem to cover everything. Well, I want to tell you that Jesus' cross covers everything. It covers everything. And you, some people think, how can Jesus dying so long ago really wash me clean? Well, it's hinted at in the scripture. I read about when King Solomon offered his sacrifices at the building of the temple. 
and it shocked me the number of sheep they killed. I don't know if you've ever read that story. If you're an animal lover, don't read it. But it says in 1 Kings, don't need to turn to it, chapter 7, verse 5, this is when they were building the temple, just that they're going to start opening up the temple in the Old Testament. It says, there, before the ark, King Solomon and all of Israel sacrificed so many sheep and goats and cattle that no one could even count them. The old version says it was unnumerable. Blood everywhere. Must have stank. Um, I work near uh, an abattoir, you know, and it smells once in my life, you know, a bacon factory. The cross covers so much, and in another part of the Bible, in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 5, it actually gives you the numbers. I thought someone apparently thought they could count. <laughs> Whether, uh, but anyway, I guess it was still a guess. It says, King Solomon offered a sacrifice, now you animal lovers, close your ears, of 22,000 bulls. And then 120,000 sheep. And so the king and all the people dedicated the temple of God. Then it says in verse 7, Solomon then consecrated the central area of the courtyard in front of the temple. He offered burnt offerings and the fat of peace offerings because the altar they had built could not hold all the burnt offerings. There were just too many. And what I want to say to you, God put this in my heart, the cross is massive. God is great. And if you've got sin in your life, come to Jesus. He'll wash it away. If you're a Christian and you've got something niggling you from years ago, God forgives me 99 things, but that one thing, mm, mm, the cross covers it. Um, but I will say this, it says in the first passage that I read, it says they overcame the accuser by the blood of the lamb. And what it means is, it doesn't mean they, un- they overcame the devil by learning about the blood or learning about Jesus. There's no good coming to church and learning things every week. That's not how you overcome. You don't overcome the devil by learning, you know, I learned a bit more today, I learned a bit more today. You overcome the devil by letting him wash you, sorry, not the devil, Jesus, by letting Jesus wash you, by trusting in him. You've got to trust in Jesus. Don't trust in all the things you've trusted in before. Don't trust in the doctors. I know we need doctors. Don't trust in psychiatry. We need psychiatry. Don't trust in working it out with yourself. I've got to work it all out myself, and then maybe God will forgive me. No, the way you get washed in the blood of the Lamb is by trusting in Jesus to wash you, not by working it all out. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. They've got to get washed in it. I've nearly finished my first point. You'll be glad to know. But I must bang on about this because so many people go past it. They think, I've got to work it out. Maybe if I do this, take this course, do that course, God will then forgive me. No, you've got to trust. It's like going swimming. You know, if you want to go swimming, how are you going to learn to swim? You've got to jump in the pool. You can't hold on to the side and, oh, dip your toe and try this. You've got to get in there. When I was in Exeter a few years ago, they had an Indian pastor come and visit. And he sang a song. I don't remember any of his preaching, but he sang an old hymn. You'll be glad to know I'm not going to sing it to you now. But it haunted me in a good way. Do you, have you ever had someone sing a song and it, it's kind of 
haunted you, but in a beautiful way, not in a scary nightmare way. And he sang this song, and he stood there with a tambourine, and everyone else, I don't know, probably thought he looked silly, but it spoke to me so much. And he sang an old hymn called, I'll just read to you the first three lines. I'm not going to sing it. I did think about singing it, but I thought I'd spare you. There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. I do believe, I will believe, that Jesus died for me. That on the cross he shed his blood from sin to set me free. It haunted me. Anyway, moving on to the second part of that verse, because my main passage is Revelation 12 and verse uh, 11. So we talked about overcoming the devil by the blood. This accuser who says you're unforgiven. The second point is, he will accuse you and say you're useless. Because I don't know about you, how hands up if you've ever shared the gospel with someone and they haven't responded very well. Anyone ever done that? <laughs> Anyone ever shared their testimony, you know, their, their faith story, and it doesn't really quite have the effect you wanted? Anyone ever done that? You shared, I came to Jesus, and they go, yeah, what, what so what? The devil wants you to believe that your word of your testimony cannot overcome him. But I tell you this, if you will persist, if you will persist in praying for people and in giving your testimony when and as you can, it says here they overcame Satan by the word of their testimony. That's not about you, that's about overcoming Satan in the lives of other people. Your testimony can have, it can be dynamite. You may not think so, but you've got to persist. Now, obviously, you don't bash on them every single day. There's a time to speak, but what the devil wants to do is shut you up. Don't talk to them. Just live it. Just be a light, you know? You heard that one. (laughs) Of course we have to. But he wants to silence you. I always sometimes nickname him Satan the Silencer. Satan the silence. He wants to silence you. Don't say anything about Jesus. They won't believe it. Like my dad. I, I witnessed to my dad year on year. I pray for him. He's slowly softening. Persist. The devil will say, you can't do anything. He'll accuse you. You're useless. Now I'm going to nick another story from another sermon I heard. I trust that's alright, but it's so blessed me, I'm going to tell you it. This concerns a man called Albert. Now Albert... John, you'll love this. It's about the war. (laughs) Albert was a Nazi. This is a true story. He was a Nazi. He was in the Hitler Youth. And in 1945, at the age of 16, he met Christ. Imagine that. A Nazi came to Christ. And the way he met Christ was because the pastor, the German pastor who witnessed to him, had himself been a Nazi. And he had fought in the Battle of Stalingrad in Russia. And this German pastor had been wounded on the battlefield and he said to God, he said, if you get me out of this, I'll become a Christian. I'll serve you for the rest of my life. And God got him out of Stalingrad. He became a pastor and he met Albert. And Albert got saved. 
And after Albert had been on a denazification course in Berlin, because the Allies made them do denazification courses, he was a Christian. He was allowed to live in a flat in Berlin on the ground floor. And he'd just come to Christ. He was a real born-again Christian. And on the floor above him lived a Jew. You're going to laugh at his name. His name was Mr. Windgasser. Mr. Windgasser. Perhaps he ate too many, I don't know, <laughs> baked beans. No, but that, he had this name, Mr. Windgasser. Apparently the Germans used to give funny names to Jews. You know, they would, the Nazis would give nicknames to Jews to despise them. And Albert had an evening of meetings in his, uh, sorry, every night he had an evening of Christian meetings in his flat on the ground floor because he'd just come to the Lord and he was having these meetings. And he felt, I need to witness to that man. But he's a Jew. I was a Nazi. The devil said, no way. A, you used to be a Nazi. He ain't going to listen to you. And B, it's not going to have any effect. He's a Jew. He's not interested in Christ. But he obeyed the spirit, not Satan's accusation, saying, you're useless. He went up the stairs. He knocked on the door. Mr. Wingass's flat. Mr. Wingass opened the door, a bit grumpy. He said, uh, Mr. Wingass, uh, um, we have Christian meetings down uh, in my flat um, about Jesus. Would you, I would like to invite you. He said, I'm a Jew. He said, go away. Don't come back. And slam the door. <laughs> now, what would most of you have done? What would you have done after that? Probably said, okay, Lord, I'll just pray for him. Following night, Albert went back. He's got, you know, <laughs> a bit of bravery. I'm not sure I would have done this. And he knocked on the door. Mr. Wingass opened the door and said, what do you want? I told you not to come back. He said, look, he said, I know you're a Jew, sir, and, you know, I used to be a German soldier, but I've met Jesus. Would you please come and listen downstairs tonight? We've got meetings every night about Jesus. He said, I'm a Jew. I told you, don't come back. If you come back again, I'm going to throw you down the stairs. Slam the door. Now, what would you do now? Most of us, including Simon, would say, okay, Lord, I'll just pray for him and leave it. Night three. Albert went back. Knocked on the door. He ran down the stairs so that Mr. Wingas couldn't throw him down the stairs. Mr. Wingas opened the door. He said, why are you knocking on my door again? He said, you're scared, aren't you, Mr. Wingasser? He said, what do you mean scared? He said, you're scared of what you're going to hear. You're going to hear about Jesus. You're scared of what you're going to hear, aren't you? That's the reason. And he said, I'll prove to you I'm not scared. Right, I'm coming. So he shut the door, went down to the meeting. He got converted, met Christ that night. It's a true story. He came to Christ. Mr. Wingasser's wife was on holiday. She was a Jew. She came back, and he was, he'd become a Christian, and he was at home, and he was thinking, how am I going to tell her? She's a Jew. I'm a Christian now. So eventually he said to her, dear, I've got something I need to tell you. Whilst you were away on holiday, I became a Christian. I believe in Jesus. She said, dear, I've got something to tell you. This is incredible. Whilst I was on holiday, I met Christians, and I've become a Christian, and I've met Jesus. They both came to Christ. So I also want to encourage you, if you've got a non-Christian husband or wife, pray. And when it's right, not every day, but drop the seed. God can do it. And I just want to encourage you, don't give up. The devil will say, you can't have an effect. He will accuse you of that. The last area of accusation is at the end of verse 11, where it says, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of the Testament, and because they did not love their lives, they weren't afraid to die. 
And what that means is, it doesn't mean you've all got to go and be martyrs and be killed for Jesus. But what it means is you have to be prepared to suffer and even make others suffer because you obey God. Because what the devil will say to you is this. He'll say, he'll accuse you of being unreasonable. Unreasonable. Now, come on, you don't need to go through this. Feel sorry for yourself. You deserve better. Why are you putting yourself through this? Don't be unreasonable on yourself. You know, surely you could do better if you went somewhere else or if you uh, stopped all this Christian business especially in that church. <laughs> I'm joking. But, you know, don't, you know, don't be... And the other thing the devil will whisper to you is, if you obey God, it's going to affect your family. It's unreasonable. And he will try and stop you losing your life. You know, Jesus said, if you lose your life, you'll find it. The devil says, save your life. The devil is a kind of a saviour, you know, not from sin, but he tries to make you save your life. Save your life. Now, obviously, you have to be careful, sensitive to what God is really saying. I'm not saying go and, you know, trash your family. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is just keep listening to the Spirit. The devil will whisper, you can't do that, your family will get upset. You can't do that, think of the effect on your family. You can't do that, it's not fair on you, it's unfair. Feel sorry for yourself, have some self-pity. I've got a friend um, who... Alice knows, his name is Sinjin Perry. You know him, don't you, from ONF. And he and his wife felt called by God to go to Indonesia. And their children were the age of my Daniela, very little, and maybe Becca's age. And they felt God saying, I want you to go to Indonesia. And they had all this advice come to them from Christians and non-Christians especially non-Christians, saying, it's not reasonable. Think of your family. If you go to Indonesia, your children won't get an education. They'll end up with no O-levels. But they, in the end, still went to Indonesia. And, and I can tell you this, they went there for, I think, 10 years. All through their children's secondary education, they were out in Indonesia serving God. They came back to this country, and now I think they're... I think they're now back in Malaysia. But let me tell you this, their children, I'll tell you, do you know what their children became? One is going to become a pastor of a church, been through Bible college. Another one is a top surgeon in the country. Top surgeon on um, nano-surgery. Top surgeon. And I think the other one, if I get it right, is a doctor. And all their people were saying, if you obey God, forget your kids, they'll end up being no education. And... I want to finish with one other story of someone you've all heard of. His name was John Bunyan. John Bunyan. And we've all perhaps seen his book, The Pilgrim's Progress. It's apparently the second best-selling book in the world past the Bible. You've got the Bible first as the best-seller, and the second best-selling apparently is Pilgrim's Progress. Um, but what people don't realise is the huge sacrifice he paid to write that book. Because, just to quickly tell you, he was a preacher in the, t in the town of Bedford. And he was preaching the full gospel. Really about salvation, forgiveness, the cross. 
And then they passed a law which said you're not allowed to preach unless you have a special license and you're not allowed to preach that gospel. You can preach a more watered-down version. You know, Jesus loves you and just gives you a pat on the back kind of thing. But don't talk about the cross and forgiveness and you're not allowed to preach unless you've been approved. He ignored it and kept preaching. So they came to him and said, we're going to arrest you, Mr. Bunyan. Um, and we're going to put you in Bedford Jail. So they put him in Bedford Jail. And in Bedford Jail, there was straw on the floor. You didn't have a bed. They put men and women all together. There was tiny little windows. So in the summer, it was hot. It used to stink so bad that people would, visiting them would have to come with like, perfume on their handkerchiefs because it stank so bad. And in the winter, there was no fireplace. It was freezing cold. And he stayed there. But every day, they made him know this. They said to him, Mr. Bunyan... You can read about this. You can go free if you stop your preaching, stop preaching that gospel and stop your preaching. You can go free. You can go back to your family. What a temptation. But the thing that's... I, 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 I confess to you, I actually cried yesterday when I read this. I'm not expecting you to cry, but I cried. John Bunyan had a little girl called Mary and she was blind. She was born blind. And when they came to arrest him, Mary's blind eyes filled with tears. They're taking Daddy away. And his heart loved Mary. And he knew every day in that jail he could go home if he wanted and be a father and a husband. And Mary, she was blind. Do you know what she used to do? She used to get a bowl of soup and, and find her way to the prison to see her Daddy and give him some soup because the food was rubbish. And it's, he said, I'm just going to quote John Bunyan, because when I heard about his blind daughter, I, I just, yeah, because I've got little girls, I just wept. But John Bunyan said this, he said, parting with my wife and my children was like pulling flesh from my bones, especially my poor blind Mary. What if she dies? What if she goes under whilst I'm in prison? Now, he was sentenced to three months, but they said, you can come out any day, and at the end of three months, we'll review your case. At the end of three months, he wanted to go home, but he said, my conscience is telling me I can't. He said, if I go home, it's going to butcher my conscience. It's going to be like a butcher's shop. It's going to be like a slaughterhouse. I can't violate my conscience. So he said, I, I can't stop preaching about the cross. I can't. And they said, right. We sentence you to 12 years. But any day you can go home if you renounce your preaching. So for 12 years he stayed in prison, knowing his blind daughter and family. And in those days, you didn't get, national, you didn't get um, benefits from the government. His family were forced to beg. They became beggars on the streets. They had a house, but they became beggars. And he knew, my family are now begging. And blind Mary, she misses her dad. But he chose to not go against his conscience, and he paid the price. He was not afraid to die. Now, I'm not saying we've all got to do that, but sometimes, to advance the gospel, this sort of thing might be called upon us. And we all know that God saw the sacrifice of John Bunyan, and he wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. He gave, he gave him a vision of The Pilgrim's Progress, which is one of the best books, Christian books, you could read. And just to be real with you, Mary died after three years he was in prison. So by, she died at the age of 13. 
I think she was about 10 when he went in. She died at the age of 13. She came to Christ herself. She was a very stubborn little girl, Mary. She's very stubborn. She wanted to prove, I can do anything, even though I'm blind. It's a bit like my Daniela, very stubborn. Don't know where she gets it from, Daniela. But anyway. Um, <coughs> she came to Christ and then she died. John Bunyan wrote a book in prison, which isn't so famous, called The Resurrection from the Dead, about his daughter and about how he believed in resurrection from the dead. But all I want to say is this. Sometimes God calls us to suffer and not be afraid to die to what we want or die to what others may want. And that's how you overcome the devil. Because John Bunyan could have said, okay, I'll stop preaching the cross. And we would never have heard of John Bunyan. He would have never preached. He went on to become a pastor of a church. He went on to lead many to the Lord when he got released. But all that would have been stopped by the devil. And many Christians said to him, you know, you need to get out of prison. Just go home, be a dad. Come on. Very hard. I mean, that is a very extreme example. God says in his word, and I'm nearly finished, they that honour me, I will honour. He also says in his word, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. That doesn't mean dying physically. It can mean in order to do God's will, you have to die to what you want. That's how we overcome the enemy. Okay. Um, We're going to sing a song before we do a bit of response called Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. I think we sang it a few weeks ago. And really it's about how God can wash you clean of any condemnation, any guilt, and make you absolutely clean in his sight. And then I'd like us to pray, and we're going to just pray about, if anyone has a sense of something in the past, a big thing that's bothering them, I want you to stand, we'll just pray for everyone. I'm not going to have you out the front. Pray for everyone that this will shift. And also, if anyone feels they're useless, I'm not, I can't lead anyone to the Lord. I, it's, not, it's never worked. It hasn't worked. I want you also to respond to that. God is for you, not against you. Amen? Amen. Right, if we could um, sing that song, please. Uh.